You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Stateside Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. Do I say that for everyone? Yes, I do. Do I mean it every time? Yeah, usually. This time, I really do mean it. Welcome to the show. My dear friend, my business partner, my partner in crime, as they say, David Ruska. Hey, hey. Nice to be here. And um, yeah, I mean, y'all have heard my voice a little bit before because I've hosted a couple episodes that are out now, but nice to finally be on with you, James. Yep. Did you see that wheel away move and then it came back? Oh, that was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a great move for an audio podcast where there's no yeah. video component. Yeah, well, it, that is a classic move I do on my other podcast, Disney Dependent. Okay, gotcha. And this this room I record in is slightly on a hill, just just ever so slightly. So just every once in a while, I'll just I'll have to wheel myself back. That sounds annoying as hell. Yeah. <laughs> hey, at the top of the show, this is not an official sponsor, but we want to thank Topo Chico and Casey. From the Wonder Years for sending the Wonder Years and his podcast, The Record Process, uh, for sending me a little care package of Topo Chico. I got swag, I got little bags, I got stickers, so much stuff, and uh, we love you for doing it. Yeah, I, when I uh, when I saw Casey at the Wonder Years show in Nashville last month, he pulled me up to the bus and he said, "Hey, wait here for a sec," and then he came out and just gave me a bunch of Record Process swag. Isn't that great? Yeah, it was awesome. It's amazing. He's the best. He's the best. Well, enough about Casey. Let's talk about you. All right. You know, I know who you are. We talk all the time. I probably talk to you more than anyone other than my wife. And it's weird. I might talk to you more than I talk to my girlfriend. And we live in the same house. So, yeah. And now that I, when I said it out loud, I was like, no, I probably talk to you more. I've been with my wife for 20 goddamn years. We have nothing to say to each other anymore. (laughs) (laughs) My wife and I, her name's Ashley, by the way. We, we really just like communicate in, in head nods and like she knows everything about me and what I'm thinking and what I'm going to think about. I mean, there's no secrets left. Sure. But, you know, that's, um, that's called home. It makes it a lot easier. And I, I, I wish you my kind of success for anyone listening. Likewise. Not quite there yet. I haven't been with my girlfriend for 20 years because that would mean we started dating when I was five. But <laughs> I, um, that would indeed be very weird. <laughs> it would. As we do with all of our guests, why don't you... I know everything about you. But let's assume the audience listening doesn't know everything about you. What is your, what is your history in this music industry game? And uh, how did you get to where you are today? Sure. So I was born at the tender age of zero and <laughs> okay, um, you're going a little no, too far I, uh, back. I grew up in the Philly area and I, you know, got, got my start in the 
quote unquote industry by booking local shows in the Philadelphia scene. Eventually moved down to Nashville after I graduated high school, went to school at Belmont University, ended up doing some work in country management that ended up not being the best thing for me. Left, went freelance for a while, ended up being a tour manager for about a year and a half, which was an absolute blast that I never want to do again. And right the day after my last tour ended, I started a stateside. And I've been here for a little over a year now. It's been an absolute blast. And if you know me, you know I constantly say this is the best job I could ever ask for. Uh, well, I, I will assume that's true. And you're not just saying that because I'm your boss and we're on air. It definitely is. <laughs> um yeah well that's um that's an interesting journey what about tour managing did you like and what about doing that uh kind of kind of gave you some experience and built up the muscle that you needed for today yeah totally so i have wanted to be a tour manager for as long as i can remember Basically, when I was younger, I realized that I was never going to be good enough at guitar to be a professional guitarist. So I decided I wanted to work close to music in some other way and, you know, be a suit, as they say. Mm. I say with a sweatshirt on right now. And um, yeah, so it was it was a really great experience. And I feel like I learned so much so quickly about the inner workings of what it takes to make a live show happen. And these tours I were on I was on were very very run and gun, very small. We weren't in a fancy bus, we weren't you know getting put up in really nice hotel rooms and being treated like royalty. We were driving around in a in a van or even for one of them I was in the artist's Subaru Crosstrek and we were doing everything ourselves. I was the only crew on every tour I was on, it was me and then the band. So I was the tour manager, the stage manager, the production manager. Luckily, I didn't have to run front of house because it would sound horrible if I did because I don't know what I'm doing with that. But everything else, and the photographer, the general, make sure people are happy and like spending time with the, the band. And yeah, and I feel like it really gave me a fast track to level up the amount of contacts in my phone and the people I know in the industry too, because pretty much every single night I was meeting new people in a different city who work in the music industry. And it was essentially my job to hopefully become their friend, but occasionally be a pit bull and, you know, be a bit of an asshole to them. And yeah, so it introduced me to so many people It introduced me to so many different ways of learning how to organize myself, too. You have your van, you have a fleeting hotel room that you're in from 2 a.m. to 9 a.m., and then you're out. And I learned so much about just how to quickly organize all of my things and and also the thoughts in my brain. Because when you don't have solid internet connection and you have to be emailing people, and you're also driving at the same time, it require you got to remember a lot of stuff. I feel like you've, you've definitely seen the, the benefits of my memory from, and that was definitely trained through, through touring and just having to keep track of so much all at once. Right. Well, it's, it's interesting because I never TM'd. I toured a, a little bit in bands I played in, in the past, not, not extensive touring, 
But I definitely, I got familiar with that life. And from what I can gather, and it would be something I would recommend anyone that wants to get into uh, managing, specifically managing artists, I, I would start with TMing. I mean, every every young, smaller, starting out band is gonna want that. <laughs> they may not be able to pay you a ton of money up front, maybe even any money at all, but it, it would be a really good use of your time to to do that because you're just gonna. It's like it's like boot camp, you know. And especially in the rock band world, I think if you if you go TM for a band, you're just gonna learn so much about the industry, how, how to settle out for a band, how to how to fight on their behalf, how to. Um, like you were saying, na- navigate schedules and timing and, and okay, and just the logistics. Like, okay, we're playing Austin, Texas tonight. We have to be in this next city. It's it's a 12-hour drive. So when are we going to leave? You know, all that stuff really, I think it trains you and it's only going to aid you in being successful down the road. Absolutely. And on top of that, you also get intimately close, not only with the artists that you're touring with, who... I mean, you spend every single second of that tour that's probably at least a month long together, but you also will get really close with their team and their their management and their label and their agent. And if you're looking to, you know, grow into a more traditional management role, now you have some contacts who hopefully like and trust you and have some experience with you now that you can sort of have a jumping off point in that world. Totally. The, the networking benefits are, are really uh, astronomical. Yeah. I, I mean, from what I've gathered, a lot of really good artist managers, they did that at one point. And some of them even still do. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a whole separate lane in the industry that you can make for yourself by either TMing, uh, working the merch, you know, being part of the crew. If, if you learn guitar teching, drum teching, any of those trades, they're real skill sets and the real trades. I have a lot of friends that I, I have known for a long time who that is their full-time career. You know, they're on retainer for bands. They're Some of them are even part of unions. They make really good money. You know, you're, you're gone all the time. <laughs> you have to know that. If you, if you want a touring life, you're gone half or more of the year at least. Some, some of the people I know, they're gone like eight to nine months out of the year. Absolutely. But that's what they want. They see the world, and when they're home, they're they're not working. They're just waiting for the next tour, and they're sitting on piles of cash. Yeah, and cannot stress enough. The money is pretty solid. It's pretty solid, and 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 nothing's forever. If you just want to do that for a run, do that for three to five years, build up a network, build up relationships. You know, you can you can pivot a lot of that experience into something else. Absolutely. Um, well, that's cool. That I love. I that's one of the things I liked about you is that. In fact, I think when we spoke originally, when we first started talking about you coming on, you were still TMing for an artist at that moment. Yes. Or you were about to be done or something like that. The first time we talked, I was about to head out on on my final tour. And then we got on a couple calls while I was on that tour. I distinctly remember being in one of the most disgusting Airbnbs I've ever been in in my life <laughs> and you calling me and offering me this job. And oh, so you know, I was in some nowhere town in Canada. Like, like, get me out of here, James. <laughs> yeah. <Can I> go <laughs> you said, now? when can you start? And I said, when does this tour end? Yes. That day. <laughs> Well, we've talked a lot about live music. Obviously, our role in this thing is, you know, if there if there's like a, a, I don't know if it's a circle or a timeline, 
in an artist's journey, we are really more towards the beginning. You know, Absolutely. an arc of like a record in the record cycle, an album cycle. We're at the beginning. We're at when you're creating the songs, when you're documenting those songs, and when you're having those songs mixed. That's what you and I are a part of. That Those are the people we manage, our producers and mix engineers and songwriters for that matter. Totally. I mean, you've been doing this for a while. You were managing producers a little bit before even we met. What is your, what is your take on producer management, your role as a producer manager? Um, what do you think we should be good at? What do you think can be better? When do you recommend a producer reaches out for management? So that's kind of three questions for you. Sure. Okay. So what do I think producer managers should be good at? I think there's a couple things that are non-negotiable. This, you have to be perfect at this if you want to get into this. And luckily you can train yourself on doing that without diving in and being a producer manager. One of those things is organization. It's a lot of projects with a lot of different people to talk to, different numbers flying around, emails, texts, phone calls, all to keep track of. Having some organizational structure within, especially within your computer and your files, whether that's a bunch of spreadsheets like I have or a fancy email service that I pay too much money for every month um, or a project management tool, whatever it is that works for you, that is vital because if you try and keep it all in your head, things will get lost and then you get a reputation of this ditzy guy whose people will probably start throwing around the word green. And that's step number one, is to have that that admin side of things. It's something that I think for those listening, if you, because I don't want to scare people off, if you don't feel like you're an organized person and you're not good with multitasking, I'm not either. <laughs> I'm. Those are the things I'm not great at. But what I do is I try to offset those things with people that are, or at least tools and systems that can help me in that you totally. know, to your point, whether it's, it's software or apps or hiring someone like you, or just being part of something bigger than yourself, whatever gets the job done. Absolutely. And on top of that, in today's environment, there are so many things that you can use for free that are like AI tools to automate some of this stuff and make your life a lot easier. And for that matter, I didn't consider myself an organized person until I TM'd. I would have called myself incredibly unorganized if you saw me like going through college and stuff like that. But it's something that I identified was an issue, okay. figured my life would yep. probably be a lot easier if I tried to fix it and literally went to a therapist and said, my life is so unorganized. Emotionally, I'm okay, but I need someone to coach me through how to organize my life. And it helped a lot. And now That's I consider awesome. myself a pretty highly organized person. I would say so too. Yeah, you, you can take on a lot of instruction and data points, you know, whether it's people you're managing or people that you're helping me manage. You, you're pretty good at remembering through either your own memory or just systems that help you remember. Okay, so that's like detailed granular stuff. What about yeah. bigger picture personality traits? What what makes you a good producer manager? What What's needed? Yeah, I think step one is just be a good hang. Be someone that people want to be around. 
That applies to fucking everything. Absolutely. And especially everything in the music industry. Oh, you God, know, yeah. if you're an accountant and you're not very fun, accountants don't really have to be that fun. It, I'm sure it helps. But, you know, people, especially in creative industries, they want to work with their friends mm-hmm. or people who feel like they could be their friends. Mm-hmm. So go become friends with every person who it is feasible and makes sense and that you like to a degree. I mean, sometimes you have to be friendly with people who aren't your favorite people in the world, but... Yes, you do. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I think being friends and knowing things about, you know, intimate details about their lives, and that doesn't have to mean, like, the day their mother died, but it can be, you know, the name of their dog or the name of their kids, stuff like that. That is, that's stuff that people, when you pull that out and throw it back at them in another conversation, they go, oh, wow. Like, James really, really paid attention, and that guy really likes me. That makes them, that's like a human nature, just makes them feel so good. And I guess the other thing I'd add to that is, on a personality side, is know when, or focus on learning when, to switch from, I'm a nice guy, I'm your friend, to, look, this is my client, and it is my job to protect them. And right now, this person I'm talking to is trying to take advantage of them or has already taken advantage of them. And sometimes you do have to go in and be a little rougher on the edges and be a bit of a pit bull. And again, true for almost everyone in the music industry. You have to do it at some point. But I think particularly with producers, especially young producers, they get taken advantage of so much. And if you don't have that inner drive and passion to protect them and the ability to respectfully but sternly say this is what needs to happen yeah people can like you all day but your clients might not like you you know if if you're not protecting them yeah and again back like like you know i made a comment about this job requires you to be organized on some level and multitasking you have to figure out how to do that if you're not naturally good at it figure out a way to get good at it or have support to get good at it. And I think it, the same applies for, you know, at some point you're going to have to be the bad guy. At some point you're going to have to be the enforcer, the pit bull, like you said. And I don't know what percentage of time it is, but it it's going to happen. It's part of your job. Your clients will call you. It happened today with one of our guys. You know, they call you with frustrations and they say, hey, I need you to go to bat for me. <laughs> I yeah. need you to stand in front of me and take take some of these hits and fight back. And you're going to have to do that, but that doesn't that doesn't mean okay, if you're listening to this and you think that's not really natural for me. I'm not Ari Gold from fucking Entourage. That's not my natural, you know, big bad fucking mean enforcer guy. All we're saying is at some point you have to stand up for yourself and for your client. So you can do it through kindness. You can do it through compassion. That's that's kind of how you and I tend to do that. Every once Absolutely. in a while, we'll have to raise our voice and we have to be Ari Gold. But most of the time, we can do it by being friends with these people, you know, having empathy, understanding where they're coming from, their perspective, whether it's a label and, and the budget sucks, understand that they they have an overhead too. They're running a business just like you're running a business. And I think if you you try to match that, like, re- just remember that they're they're in this with you <laughs> instead of against you. I think you'll you'll find that you'll get pretty far. Absolutely. And to to touch on that a little further, the more people that you are friends with, the less you'll have to be aggressive. That's right. It's I mean, think about how much easier it is to 
get your friend to do a favor for you than it would be to get a random person on the street. This is why networking is so important. I'm sure you hear it all the time. And social media is not networking. <laughs> Absolutely. Just to remind everyone, social media is important. I think it's a it's a huge part of, of uh, modern business practice. Having the Instagram account and websites and all, all, all the shit, it's very important. But it, you can't do a Zoom call with someone and think that that's going to make up for getting in the, in the same physical space as them. That's why there are still industry towns and there's conventions and meetups. That's why you and I love going to NAMM. That's why totally. you know, I, I, I'm in Los Angeles so often. And the goal of networking at first isn't for, I want something from someone. Therefore, I'm going to go meet them. That's the wrong way to do it. I'm, I'm just as guilty of that, by the way. I think I did that in the past, and I didn't realize I was doing that. <laughs> and it's not, sure. it's not how, in the end, I don't think it's how you're going to get, ironically, the things you want from people or the benefits of being friends with someone. I think the goal now, and I mean this honestly, is to... Just meet people, become friends with them, and then let the chips fall where they may. Every good opportunity totally. that's ever come in my life is because of someone I know. And I know you feel the same way. Absolutely. 100%. And, and even if you want to meet someone for a specific goal, that will happen sometimes. I joined or I, I went to a meeting yesterday with someone who there's a very specific reason why I wanted to hang out with them and become friends. Even if that is the case you don't have to bring it up right away. Mm -mm. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to sit down and say, okay, so how much money are you giving me today? It, it can just be go hang out. Unless it's like just abundantly clear. Like sure. Sure. Every once in a while you do have to be again, assertive and say like, Hey, I want to talk to you about X because this makes sense for both parties or whatever. But you're right. You don't, you often don't just pick up the phone or email someone saying, Hey, can I get 20 minutes of your time? Let's go grab some coffee so that you can meet them for the first time, then ask something from them. That's, that's insane. Yeah. We often need to remember that you're, you have to add value to every interaction that you are a part of. Totally. Even if you take this out of the scope of the music industry, this applies to almost everything. Oh, yeah. You know, if you go and you get a new doctor, the first thing they do is they call you and they just talk to you about your life and get to know who you are and your history. They mm -hmm. don't immediately go, okay, let's get a CAT scan. Right. You know, right. Or let's do open heart surgery. That's right. not how it goes. No, they need an overall picture of who you are. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So those are some things that uh, would help to be good at being a producer manager and I think a, a manager in general. And also, as we discussed, you could probably apply this to a lot of business and entrepreneur, entrepreneurial uh, pursuits. Now, what are some things that you think you could be better at? And what are some things that you think managers could be better at? Sure. So to bring this back to networking for a second, I live in Nashville and I have lived here since 2016. Mm -hmm. And by my own admittedly very high standards of myself, I have not utilized Nashville as much as I could have for the last seven years. Okay. And since... I would say probably last summer, since I've felt a little more comfortable in this role, it has given me a lot more self-confidence in who I am in this industry. It has been a lot easier for me to go out and represent myself and my clients in stateside, and by extension, you. Well, your role increased, too, to be fair. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You're hired under one idea, and, and you know, for those listening, you know, Roscoe is a, a manager now, and he, he takes on clients and... If you're listening and want to talk to us, reach out. <laughs> yeah. But 
Yeah. So I think that's something that, like, to be quite honest, I was really scared of doing before. And it really intimidated me. It seemed like something that only people who are kind of sleazy or really successful did. And I didn't feel like I was really successful and I didn't want to be sleazy. Like you had to reach some certain point in order to be allowed to do that or something. Exactly. Very much. It's it's imposter syndrome is what yeah. it is. Oh, it is. And totally. yeah, lately, to meaning the last nine months or so, I've really put an effort into it. And I have directly seen how much, one, more confident I am in myself, mm-hmm. two, more confident I am in just the ability to network. And three, it's a it's a skill like any other skill. And it's, I've trained it and I've gotten a lot better at it. And it's mm-hmm. not... I rarely have an awkward gap in a conversation with someone and yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing as far as another thing that I could get better at. Well, I mean, I'm pretty great. So (laughs) I I think you're great. No, I think, I think one thing that I could get better at in, and I think this is something that'll probably relate to a lot of younger people in the industry is I definitely can take things personally too often when it's simply just business, especially if it has to do with a client I directly represent and particularly with people who I've been with a long time. I feel really close to them. I feel almost a parent-like domain and care for them. And, you know, if I have someone come back and we're negotiating rates for a project and they ask for something really, really low, I can tend to, you know, first look, get almost offended. Yeah. And I don't think that's the right way to go about that. I think it's exactly what you said earlier. Understand where they're coming from. You know, if it is someone who is saying a bunch of amazing things about X client, how much they love them, how much they would kill to work with them, but I'm in a really tough financial spot right now and right, this is all know. I can afford. Like that is that is so different than someone reaching out on like a contact form and just saying, I Googled producer and I found you. How much is it? I can only pay $50. It's it's a very different experience. And one comes from respect and caring and the other comes from laziness and general, just like not a concerted effort. Yeah. Apathy almost. I think also, I mean, you know, we've talked about this before too, I'll find myself, you know, I'm, oh God, I'm, I'm I'm about to turn 40, dude. I can't believe that. And in my nearly 40 years around the sun here, I'm finally really starting to realize how much of our, how we feel about people or what we think they feel about us or what we assume they're thinking about us is almost never accurate for one, almost never accurate. And I'm really finally starting to, uh, it's a few things. People don't care about you as much as you think they do. They just don't. They just don't. Even people close to you. I mean, they just don't really care. And that's that's freeing when you when you realize that. Absolutely. And I think also you start telling yourself a narrative. Like you, you and I know, <laughs> you know the scenario I'm about to explain where I was telling myself a narrative about a situation. Mm -hmm. I was assuming something about how a conversation was going to go. I was already deciding the end result of this interaction. And then I was starting to resent that. (laughs) I was because I didn't like the result that I had set up 
myself that I invented in my own goddamn head. So I started resenting that outcome. And I'm like, now I'm resentful for that. And I don't like that outcome. But then I realized, I'm like, hold on, (laughs) hold on. I have just finished a whole book in my head. I wrote an entire fictitious story that didn't exist, hadn't even happened yet. So instead, like, just try to be in the moment. Remember that people aren't considering you as much as you think they are. Absolutely. And just kind of go in there and kind of react to situations in real time instead of assuming and deciding how things will go. I think I think it's so important as a representative of someone's career because that's what you're doing. You know, every once in a while you'll hear the the term we represent a client. You either say I manage someone or I represent someone. And those kind of get tossed around. Typically represent is parallel to like legal terms. When when you're a sure. lawyer, you you represent someone. But often you'll hear in management, music management especially, that you represent Ryan Lewis. You represent Joey Burcham. And I think that's important to remember that, you know, again, like something that we can all be better at as managers is to really wear that, (laughs) like put that on like a jacket. Like I am now standing in front of Joey. I'm standing in front of him, his characteristics, his reputation and his goddamn career. So when I'm talking to people about him, I'm talking to them on his behalf. Yeah. I'm talking to them for him. It's a service I provide is to go to bat for these people, take care of things that either they don't want to do, they shouldn't be expected to do, or they don't have time to do. But yeah, I think that's it's important to remember if you want to get into management. Um, yeah, you're not you're not just managing their administrative life. You're not just managing it from uh, some removed situation on a laptop. I manage their schedule. No, you're representing their livelihood. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you were managing, you know, just the the admin side of things, you'd be what's called a business manager. And that's that's essentially an accountant. Mm -hmm. And in that instance, you're not really representing them. But that's not what we do. Mm -mm. Also, that doesn't sound very fun to me. Uh, No, we we get into feelings and emotions, man. Like we're representing their, their visions and their creativity and their hopes and dreams. And like, it's a lot of stress and burden. Before I ask the other third, I asked, when do you think producers should get management? Mm-hmm. Something I want to ask you about, because you've been doing this for a while now. How do you detach from this? Like, what do you do? Because this job is never, it's not like a, I don't know if you poured concrete for a living. You go, okay, we're doing 4,000 yards of concrete today. We're pouring this slab of concrete for the day. It's going to take us eight hours. And then by the end of the day, you're done. And you can right. look at your work and go, okay, I'm done. I'm going to go to go home and wash my hands and have a beer. We don't have that kind of career at all. It's totally. never it's never done <laughs> ever 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 mm-hmm. ever. You can't just wake up and check it all off and okay, I'm done. Just never it's never no. like that. It's like reading a book that's being written at twice the speed that you can read. That's such a good analogy. That is so good. That's Thank exactly you. what it is. You'll never catch up to it. It's just <laughs> yeah, that's right. That is so accurate. So what do you do when you go home? You know, you're, now it's time to be with your, basically your wife. You're not married, but you've been together forever. What do you, yeah. what do you do? How do you do it? Totally. So to a degree, to certain people who maybe have an extremely strong work-life balance, maybe what I'm about to say, they would say that that isn't detaching. But this is how it works for me. I typically work on a pretty solid 
eight or nine in the morning to five or six at night schedule. That is the time that I am sitting down at my desk or running around taking meetings, whatever. But that that block of time in the day is when 100% of my focus is on is on this. And that is sort of, yeah, that is the bulk of the work I do. And then, you know, when I reach a nice stopping point that aligns with those rough time priorities I said, I mean, sometimes I work till eight or nine at night because mm-hmm. it happens and you have Shit to sometimes. Up. But generally, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be able to have a house that has a home office. So I can literally step out of my office, even though I work from home. And this is the only thing I use this room for is for work. I I will typically leave the room at that time. And then I consider myself a collector of hobbies. So it sort of mm-hmm. depends on which what the hobby of the day is, whether it's, you know, sitting down and reading a book or going for a bike ride or collecting playing with a dog. Chinese teapots <laughs> or whatever. The, is that yeah. what it is? <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, this man Here's one. showing us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do I think you're a communist for it? Yes. Do I think you're not a real American? That's fine. Yes. Should you be drinking coffee? Yes. But I, I love you anyway. Coffee too. I know you do. I know. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. No, um, I think it's cool. I mean, yeah. you're talking to a guy that has all of these posters behind me are Disneyland posters. That's a Mickey watch on the wall. The, I have two Mickey related tattoos. I have no room to talk. I am such a fucking nerd. And so that's one of my hobbies. Yeah. I mean, you know what's funny? You're, you're pretty, you're. <laughs> You're so ahead of me in so many ways. You're you're a lot more mature than I am. And you've you've done a lot better of a job at like, okay, well, these are my working hours. And then more or less, okay, now it's time with my girlfriend, it's time for the hobbies. You're you do fairly good at like you have an actual weekend. You know, you're you're certainly like less responsible. That's not a criticism. That's that's a good thing. Totally. And it's very intentional. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. It's intentional. It's a good work-life balance. I am the opposite. <laughs> I I do both all the time. Like I am a night person. I don't like getting up early. I suck at it. I've always hated it. My power hour is like 12 at night, 1 a.m. That's when I really like to be awake. And that's when I get creative. And But no, like I, I love riding motorcycles, for example. So if it's nice out, I'll go out for like an hour to like a Starbucks to go work for the day that's way out of my way just so I can get a ride in. You know, I used to do jujitsu for a long time. So I would do that in the, the, in the day. I just find that that works better for me. I just kind of do these blocks of like in and out, in and out, in and out. It's not all, but then, but you have to pivot. If you want to do that, you have to know that sometimes you have to be available all day and you just have to knock all this totally. stuff out. And if you want to do this job in any capacity, I'll ping pong it back to your way of doing things. You can set these boundaries, but those boundaries are just going to fall away when they have to. If something Absolutely. comes up on a weekend, you know that like we just got to take care of it. If one of your clients needs something at 8 p.m., it's, you just have to answer. You got to deal with it. And we also deal with people from all around the world. So like different time zones and, you know, you got to just be available. Absolutely. And my strategy for that is, you know, every time you send me a text at nine at night or or on a Saturday, I always read it right away. And if it's something that has to be done yeah. right now, yeah. and I and I You'll know. have and it's feasible for me to do it, I do it. But if it's That's not right. something that if it's something that I can take care of on Monday or tomorrow morning, I go back into my phone, I mark it as unread so I don't forget to look at it. And then I don't open any texts 
from like, I don't open it again so that when I go back in the morning, there's a notification on my phone. That's item number one on the to-do list. And I, I typically try not to call you or anyone in the industry, like on a weekend or at night, unless I have to there so that, you know, if I am calling, it's probably because I need to talk to you. Yeah. And I mean, for instance, um, one of my clients, Joey Bertram, is very much like yourself. He's a night person. He probably woke up two hours ago and he'll be oh, up wow. till five in the morning. So he wakes up at like 2 p.m. your time? Anywhere from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., depending on. But oh, okay. then he'll stay up all but he night. But stays up till 5 a.m. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, dude, I used to, I mean, at one point in my life, I was a, a, a literal fucking vampire i mean i i I mean to be fair i also bartended and you know i was a night person just by i I had to be but no i I mean my whole my dad used to like we were opposite schedules i would be going to bed when he'd get up it always drive him crazy like how are you staying up till 6 a.m 7 (laughs) a.m i mean really i would stay up like the sun has been up for a couple hours and i'm still up yeah but but to be fair if you get off work some of my shifts i get off work at like 3 30 a.m Sure. bartending like yeah the bar closed at two you have to i worked at a venue so you have to clean for a fucking hour i'd get home by like 4 a.m now and i'd ask my dad okay dad you get off work at 5 p.m do you go home and go to bed at 6 p.m no yeah. that's that's in only crazy serial killers would do that no i need to go home and decompress i'd drink a couple beers i'd watch pulp fiction i'd fuck around for a bit that's all normal behavior. It just sucked because then it's 7 a.m. when you actually go to bed. Yeah, but I mean, if it's the schedule that works for you and it doesn't interfere with your life, then who's to say you're wrong? Oh, dude, I, I'm so done with the the shaming of not being a morning person. What what fucking yeah. difference does it make if, if your productivity is more at night than in the morning? It's so crazy. The only thing I would say to that is like you have to remember that even in the music industry and, and I'm not trying to sound snobby, but the more you get higher up in the industry where you are working with real professionals, not like hobbyists or kind of part-timers, if you're working with full-time labels, full-time managers, full-time artists, booking agents, publicists, et cetera, they are more or less nine to five, Monday through Friday. Yeah. So you you do have to keep that in mind. Like, okay, well, if you don't want to be a morning person or you want to work unconventional days and hours... You just have to know that you're going to have to fit it in at some point during that structure. And it's the same thing as it's the same conversation as the having personal time and being able to, you know, switch from personal time to do some work sometimes. It's, you know, it's if your personal time happens to be from nine to five, one, that sounds really inconvenient. But if it works for you, it works for you. But two, you just have to understand that sometimes you have to get on a call at noon and that's fine. That's right. Um, we are running out of time here. I have another oh, yeah. podcast I have to record soon after this. I'll, I'm going to ask you a couple, two more questions. So one of the the longer three questions I actually asked you was in your, here's a word that I hate, guesstimation. Boy, is that a dumb fuck word. If you use guesstimation around me, I'm either going to fire you or <laughs> I'm going to figure out how to burn your house down. Okay. One, one of those things isn't great, but both of those things totally sucks. So... I'll let you and the listeners decide if you want to use that word around me. Um, in your guesstimation, and then I use it, when do you think producers should get management? And a second question to that question, what makes a good client for you, the manager? So when should they get management and what makes them sort of manageable? Sure. So I think 
there's a couple different points you can look at for when it's time to bring a manager into the fold. Um, number one is you are so busy with production, mixing, actually sitting at the console or at the DAW work that you don't have time to respond to emails um, or you know mm-hmm. have billing conversations or track down points from labels. That's a really good sign that it's time to bring someone else into the team. Juggling all the stuff is just getting harder and harder. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that that comes with being a pretty established producer in some in some way. I think another time that could make sense is if you are a producer that has a lot of really creative, interesting and genuinely good ideas for how you can leverage your role as a producer and grow other businesses. And, you know, say you're a producer, but you really want to be an A&R and start your own record label, as the example that James, you and I talk about fairly frequently. Bringing a manager in at that point, assuming that there's enough money coming in the door to justify it for you and you can still pay your bills, I think would help you a lot and open up a lot of doors that maybe you can't open for yourself, Mm -hmm. help you view this new business venture as its own separate business and not just as a little thing you do on the side. Right. Okay. So I'd say those are the two, the two main reasons or the two main points to say, okay, I think I'm ready to start talking to people. Okay. And then as the last one, I'd think because I've noticed producers can be so self-conscious and so hard on themselves sometimes and not really see their business as what it really is. Yeah. If you're having a bunch of managers reach out to you, that should probably tell you that you're probably at a point in your career where you're ready with for management. Yeah, totally. I would agree. Okay. And then what makes someone as a manager, what makes them like a right. good client and, and kind of a productive client manager relationship? Sure. So I think number one biggest thing for me is the ability to be able to be part of a team and as if you're looking at your manager as the lackey who works for you, that's not going to be a productive, healthy relationship, and it will probably end yeah. in the near future. If you look at your manager as a partner that you can build a really incredible business with together, then that's when it becomes a truly symbiotic relationship that will actually be beneficial and you know, you'll leave conversations feeling good. It's so, it's and, so true. It's so important. You're right. Yeah. Um, and the, another thing that I think for me in particular that makes a good client is people who have aspirations to do, to do more and to branch out. And that doesn't mean you have to go be an artist. Uh, it also doesn't mean you have to open a restaurant. It mm. just means, you know, for example, with one of my clients right now, we're developing a video course that we'll be selling. And it's sort of its own business venture that we're starting together. And it creates longevity. It creates passive income for him and security for him and me. And also for my ADHD brain, it gives me a new thing to work on and be excited about and keep everything else fresh. And I could see how that could be not a great thing for certain managers. And if, if yeah. all you want to do is manage producers and you just want to be the best fucking producer manager in the world, it's probably not that important to you. But right. I I don't necessarily want to be only the best producer manager in the world. I want to be that. And I want to 
be a grower of humans, an entrepreneur, and yeah. someone who helps people reach the potential that their mom sees for them, not that they see for themselves. Oh, totally. I think it's such a mistake that we, as humans, <laughs> we ice, we like, we focus on something because at some point you have to focus on one thing at a time. I mean, I'll, I will acknowledge yeah. that. But we start wearing these identities as like, I am this and I am only that. It's it's crazy. Like we're we're diverse people that are we have a lot of interests and a lot of talents. And I think um, you're onto something. You know, clients that are open to working um, outside of just the the constraints of I am a producer, mix engineer. That's all I am. I think it's going to be it's more fun. It's more beneficial. Uh, you said something the other day about what makes a good client. I'll, I'll paraphrase, but you said something to the effect of like, look, I can open a door for my client, but they need to be able to walk through it. And I think that's also something, if if you're considering reaching out for management, talking to managers, keep that in mind. Like there is no world where someone can just press that button for you and here's a career, Here, your dreams came true. No, it's your career. And in fact, I love when I talk to people and there's almost a, a sense of arrogance. They're like, look, thanks for taking the call. I appreciate it. Uh, this is going to happen with or without you. And Hell yeah. like, I, I'm just looking for a partner to make things a little easier to grow this thing. I want to, I want to be part of something larger than myself, but again, don't take offense. I'm going to be fucking crushing this with or without you. So let's talk, <laughs> you know, that's always, Absolutely. that's always the best way to start it instead of. I have a lot of expectations of the career or of the industry. I feel slighted. I'm frustrated. I'm not getting where I want to get. Therefore, I'm reaching out to people that can make my dreams come true. That is totally. a, a really bad way to start a, a partnership. Yeah. And to be completely honest with whoever's listening to this, I can't make your dreams come true. No. I can help you make your own dreams come true. That's it. And I That's can it. put you in the position to to make your dreams come true, but I can't. Yes. I can't do that. And no. there are maybe five people in this world who <laughs> right. can, you know, push the button and yeah. make someone's dreams come true. Yeah. And good luck getting on the phone with them. Exactly. If Jimmy Iovine wants to manage your production career, go for it. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Totally. If Quincy Jones gives yeah. you a call and says he wants to be your manager. Yeah. Fucking go for it. <laughs> That's right. He can single handedly give you whatever record he wants. But short of that, you're right. It's it's a partnership to run through. All right, man. Yeah. Lastly, I ask every uh, every guest, what is your vibe on the music industry? Are you hopeful? Do you think we're headed in the right direction? Do you think we, we finally came out of the scary time where CDs were not... Uh, relevant anymore and napster stole the music industry you're, you're a little younger than i am by not a little by a lot but that was like a real concern for humanity you know in the late sure. 90s early 2000s we all thought it was over you know this was a game changer and we at least thought this was gonna suck for a while and it did to be fair it was a pretty scary time for artists and the industry as a whole but um now that we're out of that and streaming's taken off and there's opportunities do you feel like there's growth in this industry do you feel like you're gonna flourish or are you just pessimistic and you're gonna bomb it all <laughs> well i think that this question really is coded into two things one streaming paying paying artists and musicians basically nothing and two the rise of ai mm -hmm. um in regard to streaming 
I think it's it's a necessary evil that the the benefits of what Spotify can do for your reach and how many people it can put you in front of is worth way more than the potential couple thousand dollars you could make if streaming revenue is better. That's my take on that. And then with AI, I think it's something that, you know, I I read a lot of sci-fi, so I'm definitely a little bit scared of AI. Yeah, but me too. I also was using ChatGBT right before this this podcast to create a list of publishing companies wow. with certain parameters. So right. it was like, do they have an office in Nashville? Do they sign developing artists? Interesting. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it is something that there are a lot of AI tools out there. There's way more than you think. Right. And it's going to take the major labels and the massive management companies five to 10 years to get on the train of utilizing it. I spoke to a, a prominent booking agent. I'll be vague about who that is that they routed an entire tour with chat GPT. Yeah. They, they plugged in yeah. the parameters and it, it all but did it for them. And I asked him, I was like, aren't you just like, isn't that just your job disappearing in front of you? And he's like, no, because I still had to plug in the information. It still needed Absolutely. my, my decades experience of being an agent to know the parameters and what was needed to plug it in. 100%. And, and here's the other thing with AI. There, there are real concerns. I, I'm concerned you're concerned. There, there's repercussions that society may not even be able to predict with AI. However, I will say everyone fucking relax. This is the human ex experience. If you go back in any time period, one of my favorite Instagram accounts, I, God, the name is escaping me, but he constantly posts things like this of like, um, you know, you hear, you hear uh, boomers complaining or even my generation, millennials, complaining that young people don't want to work today. Oh, I've seen that infographic. Yeah, and he, <laughs> yeah. he'll go back to like the 1800s. A headline mm -hmm. in a newspaper. Youngsters don't want to work today in the coal mines. And then the 1920s. Youngsters just refuse to pick up a shovel. The 1940s. Kids today just do not want to work. It's the same thing. There is no time. There is no year. It's all an illusion. It's all just now. It's the human experience now and now and only now. And it will always be that way. We always think this is the end of it. You know, it's finally happened. The internet ruined everything or AI. Dude, you should read articles about automobiles and how scary yeah. automobiles were to people that it was going to ruin the horse and buggy industry and that it was dangerous and decadent. Like we just do this as society. You know, again, even in like politics, you hear all the time we're on the verge of a civil war. We're never more divided now than we've ever been. It's not true. We're always divided. This country has been divided since the inception of the country. We're always on the verge of a civil war, and we're always not on the verge of a civil war. Both exist at the yeah. same time. They always have, and they always will. And the most divided we ever were were definitely when we had an actual when we had civil an actual war. civil war. <laughs> yeah. yeah, where there was a distinct line: the south and north. <laughs> now there, that doesn't exist anymore. Civil war is going to be like the troubles in Ireland. Where you're, you're just bombing your neighbor's car and shit. It's going to be awful. That's how yeah. that'll go. Uh, anyway, we're off on a tangent. But yeah. <laughs> I just want to remind people that, you know, any of this stuff, the music industry will always need a few things. It'll always need artists. <laughs> Art does not come from an AI. And producers are artists, to be very clear. Producers are artists. Both exist at the same time. There will be some things that will be 
the heavy lifting will will you know AI and the like will take that away from our career. It's just going to happen. You know, mastering one of our clients, Jay Moss, he invented his own AI mastering or his own mastering AI. Some people disagree with his take on this, right? So it's it's kind of a a a conflict in the industry. Some people are pro his his program, some people aren't. But either way, it still needs this thing will always need the human touch. No one wants to listen to music that isn't made by a human. It's the whole point of it. It's Absolutely. literally the whole point of it. Yeah. You know, the writer's Absolutely. strike that's going on right now, that's that's part of it too, is like AI, AI might be able to write scripts. So therefore, you know, the Tonight Show or Quentin Tarantino will never need help writing a script again. It's not true. It's just not. It's not true at all. We don't want to watch movies that aren't written by humans. We don't. Yeah. And if you want to prove that to yourself, go on ChatGPT and have it write you a movie script and read it and see how horrible it is. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. And to also to get on, just touch on one more thing there, you know, definitely don't believe all of the scariness, but also it's not going anywhere. No, it's It's not not just, it's, it's like boycotting Amazon. Like you can stop buying things from Amazon, but Amazon's not going to go under because one person in Virginia isn't buying toilet paper on there anymore. You know, AI is here. It's not going anywhere. And all that's going to happen if you leave yourself out of it is you're not going to learn how to harness it and you're going to be at a deficit in 10 years. That's right. Well, we solved the world's problems as usual. Hell yeah, man. That was fun. I love you. And I appreciate you. Love you too, man. This is Likewise. Fun. Yeah, this is a blast. Yeah, if anyone uh, has any more questions about what it is that we do and what we're all about, you know where to find us. Absolutely. <laughs> then that's that. You're going to have to look. No, you can find us at statesidemgmt on Instagram, statesidemgmt.com. And uh, yeah, all the, all the good stuff. I'm not going to give you my phone number. I'm not going to do it. So don't mm-hmm. expect And my address is... Beep! <laughs> I was really hoping you'd make that joke. <laughs> yeah. All right, dude. We'll let you go. I appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon. Sweet. Thank you so much. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.